Good morning, Orangewood. And those who are visiting us uh, via Orangewood, we're glad that you're with us. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Hilda. What a great time it is for us to gather together. And uh, that was a wonderful time of worship. I needed that time of worship to calm me, to get me focused, to get me ready to look into God's holy word. You know, there have been three uh, passages of Scripture that I've been meditating on in the last few days. One of them is Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, that says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Jacob, are not consumed. I love that. God never changes, which means that in all of the promises that he has made to us, he is faithful and he, and he can't be anything but faithful to us. And so the reality is, is that God is faithful to us because he never changes. And then another verse uh, out of one of the promises that he makes is, is in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wow, that's a powerful one and has helped me as well. And then the, 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 the famous and popular and very, very practical Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that's you, Orangewood. And so, so there are good things that are coming out of uh, our time, uh, even though we're not meeting face-to-face, -face, and I'd rather do that, and I know you would too. Uh, but there are many good things that are coming out of it. One thing I'm finding that's good that's coming out of our time is that families are actually eating meals together more often than, than normal or they have in the past. They're spending more time together uh, another positive thing is that uh, some of us are actually learning some technology that we didn't think that we'd be able to learn. I had a friend who told me this week that he's been on five Zoom calls this week, and he's an old guy, and he's learning technology, so that's good. You know, my favorite thing that's turning into good is that, is that there are fewer people on the road, and this is something that I have hoped for for a long time because I actually think the roads were made for me, not for everybody else. But uh, the reality is, is that uh, good things are coming out of this time because God never changes, because he will never leave us nor forsake us, and all things work together for good. All right, we're ready. We're gonna look into God's holy word today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14. We're gonna look together at verses 27 through 52. Uh, and uh, we're gonna be entering into this time of, 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 the, of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And before we have the God of the universe talk to us through his word, let's bow our heads and hearts briefly in prayer. Let's pray. Our great God, we have prayed this morning, and it's so good to be able to come into your presence again, to be meeting with your people in smaller groups, but always to know that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you are immutable, immortal, invisible, God only wise. And we honor you today. We come into your presence. We bring you our fears. We bring you those challenges that we face. And we do pray for those that need healing. We pray for our healthcare workers. We pray for our leaders, our president, and all those who are trying to mitigate and put an end to this, this pandemic that we're facing. But we come to you knowing that you're the ultimate physician and the ultimate healer. And so, Father, today we pray that you would stop this virus, that you would stop it in its track. And in the meantime, give us as your people the ability to grow in faith and in the knowledge of Jesus and be able to have a witness with those who may not know you. 
So now we look into your word. We pray that you would speak to us. And we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, his name was Billy Tyne Jr. Billy Tyne Jr. Notice I said past tense. He's no longer on the planet. He was the captain of the Andrea Gale, which was a sword fishing long line boat uh, that went out out of Gloucester, Massachusetts. And many of you know this story. Many of you have heard this story, but it was the end of the season in October 1991. And, uh, and, and, and Captain Tyne uh, had not had that successful a season uh, fishing. And so he convinced his crew to give him one last shot, to go out with him one more time and to be able to, to get out there uh, in the reality uh, uh, of the need for more fish and to bring it in and to come in. And so they went out, leaving Gloucester, Massachusetts, uh, with a tropical storm brewing behind them. And they went out off of the Grand Banks, off of Newfoundland, where they struck out. Uh, there just, there just wasn't enough fish there. And so they went out into the Flemish Gap. Now, I have no idea where that is, but it's somewhere in the North Atlantic. And there, boy, they hit pay dirt. Uh, they, were, they were getting fish right over left. They were just hauling them into the boat and putting them in ice and storing them up when all of a sudden their ice maker went out, which is a big problem. And so they had a decision to make, and the decision to make was, do we go in, do we go through the storm, or do we pull off and wait for the storm to, to get by, and, and in which case we'll lose all of our fish, and they decided to head through the storm. So they headed through the storm, and you probably know the, the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that the one storm had actually uh, collided with another storm uh, in the process of, of a hurricane coming onto the scene. And so they entered, the Andrea Gale entered the perfect storm. The name of the book, the name of the movie that came out in the year 2000, and it was deadly. And many of you are probably saying the same thing about the, the pandemic, the virus that we're, we're seeing. Uh, the, the economy was better than it's ever been. In my lifetime, the economy has been better than ever. And then it hits this pandemic that is bigger and larger than life and deadly. A perfect storm has hit us. And in a very real way, you know, it has. As we look at this text today, we're going to see that our Lord Jesus Christ is entering the perfect storm. And, and what he enters into here is, is, is the beginning of Holy Week, is, is toward the end of Holy Week. And, and really, this is actually a perfect time for us to be looking at this text for the very reason that, uh, that we are so consumed with what's going on in our world and in our country, anxieties, fears, the pandemic, that it's important for us to center our minds and hearts uh, as Christians on the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are in Holy Week. We're moving toward Holy Week. Actually, the text that we're going to be looking at next week, uh, taught by Pastor Joe Creech, is going to be the Palm Sunday text. So the text today is a little bit ahead of what we'll be looking at next week. But it's absolutely important for us in the midst of the storm 
uh, to look at what Jesus has done for us so that we can put this pandemic into perspective. And so I want you to follow along with me. If you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 14, we're going to be looking at this. I'm going to tell you the point, and then I'll read the scripture, and we'll unpack it together. First of all, I want you to note, as Jesus enters into the perfect storm with his disciples, I want you to note the prediction of failure, but hope. The prediction of failure and hope in Mark 14, verses 27 through 31. Listen to God's word. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. This is God's word. What a powerful text. Because here we see at the beginning of this storm, as the clouds are gathering together, that Jesus has left the Temple Mount with his disciples, and he's moving up to his favorite spot, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on a hill called the Mount of Olives. And as Jesus heads up there, he makes a prediction that is very, very difficult and very challenging, but a very important one, very straightforward. If you underline in your Bibles, you might want to underline this. He says, all of you, all of you will all fall away for me. Now, Jesus is the eternal son of God. So, of course, he knows what's going to happen. Nothing has taken him by surprise. But he has the prophecy of Zechariah 13.7 uh, in, in his mind here as he talks about this, which says basically the same thing. Scatter, uh, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And so Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. He sees that the disciples' faith will be absolutely staggered by what's about ready to take place in just a few minutes. Sometimes Jesus' truth, sometimes God's truth is, is literally staggering. It's so straightforward. It's not nice and clean and couched in terminology that is more acceptable. It's just right at you today. In a short time, all of you will fall away. Sometimes we do have a hard time taking God's truth. It's difficult to swallow. Having been a leader for most of my adult life and even uh, younger than my adulthood, I, I feel profoundly sad at the, the thought of Jesus having his key disciples abandon him when he needs them most. Uh, it, it, it's a sad thing. All leaders, by the way, have been abandoned by key people uh, at, at the most inopportune times. But Jesus is about ready to face this. And it's a profoundly sad thing because all will run away. And as sad as that is, it teaches us something even sadder about the cross. That as Jesus heads toward the cross, it is something that he is going to have to do absolutely alone. As he heads into the events in the Garden of Gethsemane that we're going to unpack here in just a minute, 
As he goes to the cross, it is something that he's going to have to do without the support of, of, of his disciples. And he's going to have to do this without being connected to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for the very first time in all of eternity. Jesus will be profoundly alone as he faces the cross on our behalf. If we're going to be helped, he's got to do this alone, which raises the point that many people have often asked, what part do I play in my salvation? What do I bring to my salvation? And the answer is the only thing that anybody ever brings to their salvation is their own sin because Jesus lived the perfect life for us and then he had to go and endure the perfect curse for us. He had to do it all by himself. Now, the only thing in these few verses that uh, in any way softens the sadness of this text is the hope that he brings to us. Uh, as he said, after my resurrection, he immediately goes, you will betray me. But after my resurrection, after my resurrection, I'll go before you to Galilee. I'll see you there. This is not the end of all things. And I love this. Because what Jesus does is totally consistent with the prophets of the Old Testament and even the, the prophecies of the book of Revelation. The stark truth of what is coming, the prophets would give, but then they'd give the hope. The hope of forgiveness, of restoration, of a future. That's what Jesus does here with these disciples. He tells them what's coming. And then he, this is such a God thing. He, Jesus really is the hero of the gospel, how powerful it is. And then there's Peter. Don't you love Peter? Here he is. Peter doesn't ever seem to learn. Peter is always mouth first. <laughs> and what does he say? He says, Jesus is pointing over at the disciples. Even though they, they won't abandon you, uh, they will abandon you, I won't. And Jesus looks at him and gives him some tough truth. Hey, today, before the cock crows uh, two times, you will deny me. Three times, Peter. And Peter says, nope, not going to happen. Peter had chutzpah. I love uh, the bravado and the Jewish chutzpah, he said uh, here, but uh, it really was unwarranted. Tom Picorni, in his book, Jewish DNA in Christians, tells the story of four guys who were standing on a corner in New York City, American, a Russian, a Chinese, and an Israeli. And a reporter rushes up to them and says, excuse me, what's your opinion on the shortage of meat? And the American says, what's a shortage? The Russian says, what's meat? The Chinese says, what's an opinion? And the Israeli says, what's, excuse me. <laughs> oh, Peter had the chutzpah, he had the bravado, but it was misplaced, wasn't it? As so often is the case. Something is about ready to happen that is going to absolutely stagger Peter's faith. Hey, has this coronavirus staggered your faith? Has it brought you to the point where what, what seems to be your ever-present idea is, is that it's all bad, it's not going to get wor better, uh, that there's no good. Even those of you who have lost a job or been laid off temporarily, or those of you who know somebody, a loved one who is sick, my neighbor, my neighbor asked me to pray for her, her brother and uh, sister-in-law down in Ecuador who, are, who, who both have the virus, their kids are all over the world, but they need help. 
And we want you to know at Orangewood that there is somebody who has stepped forward that says if anybody needs help in processing this, this, this stagger of our faith, uh, there's help for you. Talk to our pastors, Pastor Joe, Pastor Chuck, or Pastor Mark. Talk to them, and they will connect you with the right people that can get you the resources for counseling or whatever. Uh, be, because this is a challenging time. And Peter is about ready to have his faith staggered in a way that he couldn't possibly imagine up to this point. So we see the storm clouds gathering uh, and they're coming together even more. Look with me uh, at the second point in our text today, Gethsemane, where Jesus is staggered by the curse, verses 32 through 42, because this is shocking. Not only was Peter going to be staggered, but Jesus is staggered now in the garden of Gethsemane. Verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, catch this, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The storm is upon them. And what Jesus does to prepare for this storm is, is fascinating. Like a good military commander, he puts two ring of soldiers around him, one ring, an outer ring of disciples, and he says, watch and pray. And then he brings Peter, James, and John around him, and he says, watch and pray. Stay with me. And then he goes a little bit further and falls on his face to pray. Guys, one thing we learn from Jesus here at this time is that prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. This is so important for us to understand uh, because we think, we think that we can do so much on our own. That's why Paul says, pray without ceasing. This past week, I, I, I read through Daniel and I went back to Daniel 6. Read Daniel 6 sometime this week. You'll find it fascinating how Daniel, even in a culture uh, that was anti-Israel, found three times a day to pray. He'd go into his room, open the shutters, kneel down, and pray. And that prayer, three times a day, provided a rhythm for him to face the challenges that he faced every day. Jesus understood and modeled for us how important prayer is. Now notice what it says, that he that he went and fell down on his face near the disciples. This must have shaken them up. He was greatly distressed 
and troubled. He said, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. And up to this point in three years of ministry, the disciples have never seen Jesus this way. They've never seen him this way. He's always been large and in charge. But here, he's shaken. Tim Keller tells us in his, in his book on the Gospel of Mark, he tells us that the word greatly distressed is this idea of being absolutely astonished, that he was astonished, surprised at what he was experiencing as he faced his arrest, betrayal, and cross. And that's, that's amazing because up to this point, Jesus uh, has been unflappable. It says he was troubled, which means that he was overcome with horror. That's the original idea. Jesus was overcome with horror. Jesus, Jesus here is staggered in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the question is, why? Why? What, what was going on in this time? I think the only way we can understand what was going on in our Lord's, uh, our Lord's mind and heart and soul was that for the very first time in all of eternity, he was tasting, literally tasting the cup of, of the wrath of God that he was going to taste shortly. He was experiencing it. He was tasting it. You know, in the Bible, the word cup often has two different opposite connotations. One is the cup of wrath. The other is the cup of joy. Here, Jesus is experiencing the cup of wrath of God in advance. His worst possible scenario was awaiting him, and he was tasting it and experiencing it. Nothing that we have ever gone through comes close to matching this. This past week, as I was doing a Q&A with Steve Brown on the radio, we got a question that came into us. Does Jesus experience, did Jesus experience our emotions, our anxieties, our fears as we experience them? And I would say, based on this text, how would you answer that? And I would say with a qualified yes, of course, he experienced deep, deep emotion. He's our high priest who experienced everything that we have, yet without sin. Students, I want you to know that your life is going to be, uh, going to be great. Follow Jesus, and there's going to be some great times, but there will be some chaotic times. There will be some challenging times. And students, I want you to know that as you face those times, the God of the universe knows exactly what you're going through. In trial, we often feel that, no, that he's not there, that he's, that he's taken a vacation, that he's gone away, but he's there. Jesus knows. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tasted his own in advance. He knows what you're going through. Men, it's important for us to understand uh, that uh, we don't always have to have it all together. We don't always have it all together. We don't have to be stoic. How are you doing? Well, sometimes I'm not doing so good. Women, it's important for you to know that, that your jobs or your kids or your family, not, not, they don't define you. Jesus defines us. He knows what we're going through. And the biggest truth that we can take away from this second point that is so important is that after tasting it in advance, after coming up to his disciples and seeing them asleep for the third time, 
His betrayers are coming. And he says, all right, it's time. And he steps up to the plate and he steps into the battle for you and for me. It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let's go. Here it is. And so the perfect storm uh, uh, is uh, the prediction of failure and hope has taken place. Uh, we see that the disciples will be staggered in Gethsemane. We see that Jesus was staggered, but yet he moves forward for you and for me because he loves us. And then John Mark, the gospel writer, pulls this section together by showing us betrayal and arrest in verses 43 through 52. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him, lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out as a, against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And then there's this addendum footnote. And the young man followed him and nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. There is so much drama here. It's almost impossible to grasp it all. It's, it's the chaos that you could imagine in the most chaotic time of your life. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, my betrayer is at hand. And then up they come, Judas leading the soldiers, the clanking of the swords, the, 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 the sandals of their feet crunching the ground, the torches sparking sparkling in the air, the noise, the cacophony, the disciples waking up. What is going on? What is happening around us? Judas, with his disgusting greeting of Jesus, it has to have somebody uh, who can see in a dark space who Jesus really is. He comes up, he greets him, he kisses him, and Jesus says, who are you seeking? John is the only one that tells us about this. In John's gospel, we find that Jesus says, who are you seeking? Two times, and the whole crowd just collapses on the ground. The display of divine power, the chaos of people falling and getting back up uh, and, and trying to, to, to capture Jesus. And then someone lays their hand on Jesus, and that's it for Peter. He's got a concealed weapon, probably the short Roman gladius, pulls it out from underneath his robe and swings at the high priest, misses his head, gets his ear, and, uh, and then Jesus thunders at them all. Thunders. You had every opportunity to get me, and yet you choose this opportunity to do it. This is a time that this must be fulfilled. And then the disciples run like crazy. All you see is heels and elbows. And then we see that young man that almost all biblical scholars say is probably John Mark, the writer of this story. Peter is giving Mark all this information. So Peter shows that he ran too. And John Mark says, I ran too. And I ran away naked. And the reality is, is that nakedness is a symbol for guilt and shame. And this text kind of comes together, helping us see the betrayal and the arrest 
What do we do with all of this? How do we as Christians uh, during this holy time preparing for Easter, what do we do with all this? Well, here's what I think we ought to do. We need to enter into it. The reason why this was written for us and why it was given to us in such a way, such a dramatic way, Peter giving this through John Mark for us to read in such a dramatic fashion is that we would enter into it and to understand what it is that all of us living and following Jesus Christ here today can know exactly what these first disciples experienced and what Jesus did for us. This is a big challenge for us. This was written that we would enter in and really see what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for us. The storm. Oh my goodness. The sin, the shame, the nakedness. We're just like, we're just like John Mark. Our sin is our nakedness and our shame. Guys, as we pull this to a close, I want to I wanna remind you that as we think about this virus, the coronavirus and how contagious it is, there is a virus that is even greater than the coronavirus, and that is the virus of our sin. And what's important for us to understand is how deadly sin is. Sin, sin kills our relationship with the God of the universe because God knew how deadly it was and how contagious it was. I got it from my parents. I gave it to my kids. My kids will give it to their kids. The reality is, is that sin nature uh, cannot be eradicated by ourselves. We cannot be good enough to undo it. We're not, we don't have that power. Jesus had to come. And so as we think of this time of Easter, we're called to enter into this in an emotional way and to, to uh, accept it for ourselves and to understand that he has come to do this for us, and he went to the cross to do something that only he could do, and that has accomplished our eternal salvation. I love the passage in the New Testament that said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might see the righteousness, that we might be the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. And so, during this time of the year, even as we face this virus, it's important for us to understand that we can enter in and be thankful personally for the reality that Jesus came for you and for me. The storm, the gathering storm, the perfect storm that Jesus entered into was just before the outrage of the eternal Son of God being placed on a cross for you and for me. Profoundly sad, but profoundly hopeful that in Christ we can be cleansed. If you don't know him, uh, if you're tuning into this broadcast and you're wondering what in the world is going on here, what's Jesus, what is the good news of the gospel? The bad news is that sin is contagious, everybody's got it. The great news is that Jesus is the cure. His grace is the cure. And if you turn to him and trust in him alone for your salvation, you have the forgiveness of sins. And so guys, all of us can trust in him. So enter into this time. That's the application of this text, the reality of what we need to do and to understand like with the apostle Paul, to depart and be with Christ is very much better. We can think about all that we have now, but all that we have to come. Take it to heart as you and I enter in to what our Lord and Savior has accomplished 
for us. Let's pray together. Our great God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your power, Lord Jesus, for moving alone and standing alone, fighting alone for us. May that transform our hearts. May that, may that make us not be afraid. May you give us strength and courage. May you enable us to understand all that you have done. May we experience it during this time of the year, even next week as we move into Palm Sunday and then dial back through this time of Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and, and, and Holy Saturday moving toward Easter. Bring this alive. Lord Jesus, cause, me to, cause us to love you more and more because of your phenomenal grace that you've accomplished for us in your work. We pray these things in your strong and holy name. Amen.